0: the second week of Advent, the second Sunday of Advent. We have two more weeks, and we're going to focus this morning on the book of Mark and how it uh, reflects the work and the ministry and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ here on this earth. Uh, Last week, we looked at the Lord Jesus Christ as King, as reflected in the book of Matthew, and it it is essential to understanding the book of Matthew that you filter it through um, through the filter or the focus of King and Kingdom. Um, Many have misinterpreted even the gospel message by taking the book of Matthew and looking at it from a perspective that's not related to king and kingdom. And so it's so important as you go through that that you just see all of of what is depicted in Matthew pointing to the coming kingdom and uh, the millennial reign of Christ, the earthly reign of Christ, and what it's going to be like during that kingdom. And we look forward to that and and we live that out now because Christ Jesus lives in our heart, and if you're a believer this morning, Christ is the king in your heart. And so we, we, we get to represent, if you will, his kingdom here in this earth now. Matthew, like John, is a book that depicts a superior characteristic of Christ, in other words, Matthew and John are not books that you can go to and look and say, this is what I want to be like. Um, God has not called us to be kings, and God has not called us to be gods. And John describes Jesus Christ as being God. And there are some religions out there that will teach you that we're little gods, which is, which is heretical. It's an unbiblical teaching. Um, but there are religions out there that would teach you that. So when you look at Matthew and John, we don't look at it from the perspective of what we should be like, but more we look at it from the perspective of how we should respond to someone who is superior or supreme over us. How should we respond to Jesus Christ as king, and how should we respond to Jesus Christ as God, which is what the book of John teaches us about. Now, with that being said, the book of Mark and the book of Luke are both very, very practical books. Because we can look at the book of Mark and Luke, and we can see what we should be like. Because Jesus Christ is actually described in those two books um, from a very human perspective. The book of Mark describes Jesus Christ as a servant. And everything about the book of Mark is describing Jesus Christ as being a servant. And you cannot read um, really any of Paul's epistles without seeing the church being called servants. Or being even the, the Greek word doulos is interpreted slave. It's, a, it's, an, it's an intense form of a servant. So we're called to be servants. So as we read and look at the book of Mark, we're going to find um, principles, practical applications as to how we should be functioning here in this life, how, how we should be living. And ultimately, it's that we follow the life of Christ. We, we exemplify what Christ Jesus exemplified. We live... What Christ Jesus lived, we um, set out to carry on the ministry of Christ in this generation. And it's what Christ accomplished for three and a half years when he was on the earth that his disciples carried on and that we are privileged to carry on in the 21st century. And uh, that's why we're called Christians, because we are carrying out the work of Christ we looked last week at Ezekiel 1 and verse 10 as well as Revelation 4 and verse 7. These are beasts in these two texts of Scripture that represent the glory of God in relation to these four different Gospels, and um, the ox in these two texts is represented in the book of Mark. And the ox is, if you, if you just think of an ox from the standpoint of labor and work, um, just a solid animal. Uh, gets out there and gets the job done, strong and powerful and, and, and able to just continue faithfully to move on and, and, and to go forward. And, and that's, just, that's the description of Jesus Christ and, and his earthly ministry for us. Some, some key things to remember as we get ready to enter into this study. Um, we want to remember that Jesus Christ, while on this earth, was a servant but he was a servant to God and not a servant to man. Okay, it's important that we remember that he was a servant of God in the world of men and not a servant of men in God's world. Okay, if, if we get that mixed up, if we get that distorted, if we, in, in our life, we become the servant of men, we, we won't remain faithful, we won't remain committed, we won't continue to do what we ought to do. Jesus Christ did what he needed to do. Even in the face of great ridicule from men, he did what needed to be done because he wasn't serving those men, he was serving God, and in effect, his service to God was impacting the way that he viewed men and helped men. We see this in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus is asked the question, his mother is outside waiting for him, and Jesus Christ responds to the statement that his mother was outside waiting for them, and Jesus says, my mother and my brothers are those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says that those who are serving God, these are my mother, these are my brothers and my sisters, this is my family, Those who are servants of the Most High God are those who are my family. And then we also note in Mark chapter number 8, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he's just describing his crucifixion that is upcoming, and uh, Peter rebukes him basically for uh, implying that he's going to die or implying that the disciples were not going to continue to follow him, and Jesus says to him, get Behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. So it's important to remember as we look at Jesus Christ as a servant that we understand who he is serving and what he is doing because there are times in his ministry, even in the book of Mark, that it doesn't seem like he's serving men because what he's doing is very, very difficult for men. What he requires and what he demands is difficult for men. But ultimately, the ministry of Christ was not in service to men, but the ministry of Christ is in service to the Lord. So we're going to look at some things, and again, we're going to be all throughout the book of Mark. So if you want to journey with me on each page, you can, um, but I've typed out a lot of this, and so you might just want to listen and, and, and take notes and then, and then confirm, me, confirm me later in what I have said. So we're going to look, first of all, at the proof of Jesus Christ serving. There are several things about the book of Mark that help us to understand that he is being presented as a servant, and then also give us some some evidences, if you will, as to how some things that should be true about us also as servants. First of all, we'll look at the theme of the book of Mark found in chapter number 10, verse 42 through 45. The Bible says, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among us or among you, for whoever shall or would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be, your, must be the slave or the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then if you go back one chapter to chapter number 9, verse 33, the Bible says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them what they were discussing on the way. But they kept silent, for on the way they had they had argued which one Uh, They had argued with one another about who was to be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone will be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So I believe that these two verses describe for us the, the essence, the theme, if you will, of the book of Mark. Jesus Christ is depicting the greatest. He is the greatest of all because he is the servant of all. It's been said before, the measure of a man's greatness is not determined by the number of servants he has, but by the number of people he serves. This is the theme of the book of Mark. We see Jesus Christ work in the book of Mark. Things missing in the book of Mark, because it is a servant book, we have no birth record in the book of Mark. We have no genealogies in the book of Mark. We have no record of Jesus Christ's parents. We have no reference to worshipers, the wise men or the shepherds coming to worship the king. We have no reflection on the childhood. Matter, matter of fact, in chapter number one, we, we immediately enter into John the Baptist's ministry of, of introducing Christ, not at his birth, but introducing Christ and his, and his earthly ministry. There's no victory over the temptation. Chapter number 1 and verse number 12 does mention the temptation, the fact that Jesus Christ did go through this temptation, but there's no mention at all that he was victorious in the temptation. In all of these things, we, see, we begin to see the reason why, or we see in his servanthood, the reason why none of these things are mentioned. As a servant, it didn't matter where you came from. It didn't matter who you are or who your parents were or what your genealogies were. What mattered for a servant was what you did. What mattered as a servant was, was the labor and the work that you did and the, and the um, accomplishments that you had. So all of these things are missing in the book of Mark because they weren't significant. And we look at our own lives and we sometimes place a lot of emphasis on where we came from The Jewish people placed the same emphasis on where they came from, and we begin to build up this this program or this system of self-pride, of look where I come from, or look where I've been, or look what degrees I have, and we begin to build this system up, and no longer do we serve the Lord, but we become significant, and He becomes minimized. John the Baptist says it this way very clearly. He says, I must decrease, and Christ must increase. These things are missing in the book of Mark because they're not significant. Because because Jesus Christ is being focused on his ministry and his work, not the significance of who he was. This is why we can learn from this. There's so much example in this for us to learn and grow from. It's not about who we are, is it? It's about who we serve. It's about who our Lord is, it's about who our who our master is. That's what makes us significant. I'm not significant because I am something or have something to offer. I'm significant because of who I serve. And he is the one who is ultimately significant. Things limited in the book of Mark. Words. Words are limited in the book of Mark. It's the shortest of all the Gospels. Not only is it the shortest of all the Gospels, there are fewer red, if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, which basically gives us all the words of Jesus Christ in red letters. There are fewer red letters than any other of the Gospels because the words of a servant don't matter. His works are what matter. James teaches us that in chapter 1 where he says we learn to be slow to speak and to be quick to hear. The parables in Mark are limited. There's only four parables as you compare them to to, to Matthew and, and, and Luke. It's just, it's not even comparable. No Lord's Prayer in Mark, no Sermon on the Mount in Mark, no or very few quotes or references to the Old Testament in the book of Mark. These things are not significant. Connecting him to the Old Testament prophecies was not significant. What was significant was the works that he accomplished. Things included in the Book of Mark that de- that describe for us his servanthood. Above all other of the Gospels, you find extraordinary detail in the Book of Mark. He talks about, you read through it, I, was, I read through it several times this week, just read through the book, and it was, I was just confounded. It was amazing to start to see, slowly you start to see all of these little details that are in the book of Mark that are really in no other gospel. Little, tiny details that you would think, that doesn't really matter, but it does to a servant. You see, a servant, every little detail matters. It's not just what we accomplish, but it's how we accomplish it. Jesus' letter in the book of Mark is full of details, minor things that seem insignificant to someone that is important, but are super important to someone who is insignificant. Details are Premier in Mark, his frailties. It talks about his not knowing the time of the Lord Jesus, not knowing the time of his return in Matthew, in, in Mark 13, 32, that he didn't even know when he was going to come back. And there's references in the book of Mark to him being tired and being weary and, and being hungry, all, all referring to the fact that he had the same frailties that we have, the same weaknesses that we have. His emotions are strongly seen in the book of Mark. His he, he, uh, some of them that come up, he, he, he pities and he marvels and he sighs and he's angry and grieved and he shows compassion and is distressed and troubled and, and all of these emotions that are coming out and, and, and we're mindful of his humanity and we're mindful of uh, we can connect with him because we feel those same things, don't we? Every day we feel emotions, we feel distressed, we we feel hardship, and I remember just yesterday I walked out of the back bedroom and I, I did this huge sigh, and there was really no reason for it, of course, right? There was really no reason for it, but I remember sighing and I remember thinking to myself, wow, that was a really big sigh. But Jesus sighs in the book of Mark. But you know what's significant in all of that? We see all of these emotions flowing through the book of Mark. They're, they're everywhere. But you know what's significant about that? Is that he kept doing what he needed to do. What Jesus teaches in that is that yes, we're gonna have emotions, and yes, we're gonna have feelings. As servants, it doesn't, we don't remove those things. They're, they're there, they're present. We we sorrow, we mourn, we we hurt, but we but we keep serving God. Right? We keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. So so his emotions are just really uh, expounded in the book of Mark so that we we can see that he's like us or we're like him and we can continue to do the works that he has called us to do. His works are supreme or seen boldly in the book of Mark. More than any of the Gospels, over 20 miracles mentioned in the book of Mark, while again, his parables and other things, his words are very limited, his works are are magnified. One of the interesting things about the book of Mark is the word and is used 500 plus times throughout the book, the conjunction and, and and if you look at each one of the chapters in the book of Mark, almost, almost all of them begin with some form of that Greek conjunction and and the idea of it is, is, it just goes on and on and on and on. And sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? As we serve the Lord, it just, we just feel like it just goes on and on and on. That's the life of a servant. That is the life of a servant. We're not done. There is, no, there is no cry, it is finished, in the book of Mark. You know why there's no cry, it is finished, in the book of Mark? Because it is never finished for a servant. Jesus Christ goes and sits at the right hand of the Father, right? And he ever lives to make, yeah, continues serving. His works are seen all throughout the book of Mark. Another thing that we see all throughout the book of Mark describing his servanthood is this, and this is so pivotal. He refused every time there was an opportunity for fame, Every time there was the potential for fame, Jesus Christ refused it. When he performed a miracle, you know what he told them when he performed the miracle? Don't tell anyone. Do you know what happened when he cast out or when he met up with a demon? He told that demon, be silent because he knows who I am. In Mark chapter 1, you don't need to turn there, but verse 28 and 29 and 36 and 37, two situations where Jesus Christ's fame was known. And you know what the very next verse says? That when his fame became known, the very next verse says he immediately left. He immediately left. It's hard to, it's hard to get a, our arms around that, isn't it? Our mentality is, is, where our fame is, is where we want to be, right? Where people are praising us is where we want to be, not the mentality of a servant. You see, what Jesus was concerned about was that the Father be lifted up, that the Father be exalted. He didn't want to stand in the way of that, nor should we ever seek to stand in the way of our Lord's exaltation. Mark 3 and verse 12, the Bible says, and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. The Father's confirmation of Jesus at his baptism, you compare it to Matthew and to Mark. The difference is, is that in Matthew Jesus, the, Jesus is baptized, and the Father says, this is my the Father speaks to the crowd and says, "This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased." In Mark, the Father looks down and says, "You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased." You ever need to hear that? Can you picture a servant needing to hear that? when we're serving the Lord and we're plodding along and we're doing what we're supposed to do and we're getting ready as Jesus Christ is getting ready to face this world that will oppose him, that Jesus Christ, that God the Father begins it with, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. Sometimes serving, we need that reminder. Key words in the book of Mark that describes his servanthood The Greek word euthus means immediately straight or right. It's used 41 times in the book of Mark. It's used 60 times in the entire New Testament. In other words, when a servant's asked to do something, how soon are they to do it? Immediately. You see this immediately all throughout the book. Jesus wasn't a casual server. He was a faithful servant of the Lord. Another word that's in the book of Mark much is the word arkomai. It means first, the beginning. Jesus Christ was the beginning of these things, and they continue to be done today through his people. And then as I mentioned earlier, the word, the conjunction and, from the Greek conjunction chi, which is used 563 times in the book of Mark, and it just shows continuation. We really don't have to go much further to see the fact that Jesus Christ is depicted as a servant all throughout the Book of Mark. We see him. We see his example. We can we can follow him. But there's more to it than that. Jesus Christ being a servant. There's more to it than just him being an example for what we for how we should be. There's more to it for our benefit, and let's get to that here. Number two is the purpose of his serving. We have the proof of his serving, and now we have the purpose of his serving. Why did Jesus Christ serve? And I'll give you three things very quickly. Number one is Jesus Christ served so that he could preach the gospel. The main emphasis of Jesus Christ's service was to have opportunities, to present opportunities to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark 1 in verse 38 and 39, He said to them, Let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for this is why I came. In other words, Jesus Christ came into the world to preach the gospel. One of the ways in which He served God was the preaching of the gospel of Jesus, uh, His gospel message. He preached His gospel in, a, in, the, uh, in such a way as to be in service to the heavenly Father. That was why he served. That was maybe how he served. And we have opportunity to serve people. We are to not just serve them physically, but we're to serve them spiritually. We're to serve them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Honestly, folks, the people of the world need the gospel of Jesus Christ more than they need food, more than they need anything else. They need to hear the gospel. When we present the gospel to them, we are serving our. God. This is what we're called to do. We're not called to make converts. We're called to make disciples. We're called to preach the gospel, to present the gospel, and to leave the results in God's hands. When Jesus Christ fed 9,000 people with a few fish and a few loaves, as you remember, one time 5,000 and one time 4,000, as the disciples go over, they begin to talk about, uh, Jesus begins to ask them about bread they begin to wrestle with what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus says to them, I'm not, walk, I'm not talking to you about bread, but I'm talking to you about truth. And when we read the story of the 5,000 and the 4,000 people fed by a few loaf and a few fish, here's what Jesus is saying, that the message of the gospel is sufficient. And even if there are five loaf and two fishes delivering it, it is Sufficient, because it is sufficient for all. We get to see that in these miracles that he performs. And then he teaches, he tells them that he would take his disciples aside and he would teach them the truth of these miracles and of these parables. There, There was more than meets the eye when it came to Jesus Christ's work in his miracles. And one was to preach the gospel, to share the gospel with the world that they might know how to be saved. The second reason why he he served was to prove his power. Jesus Christ was not just serving to promote self. Obviously, he was not serving to promote self, but it was to prove his ability to accomplish what the gospel promised. In other words, the gospel makes some pretty outrageous promises, doesn't it? The gospel makes some, some pretty significant promises. Forgiveness of sins, a, a new beginning, a, a new life that is, is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit. There, there is so much in, impacted into the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are so many promises there that Jesus Christ performs miracles to help them to see that his ability to perform these miracles is directly connected to his ability to accomplish the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter number two is a good example of this when Jesus Christ has brought a man who is paralyzed and he's brought into the house, and he says to him, "The first thing he says to him is what? He says, "Your sins are forgiven you." And the Pharisees begin to talk and they begin to, to wrestle with who is this, who has the right to forgive sins, right? That's an important question, isn't it? Is the forgiveness of sins an important question with the gospel? Does the forgiveness of sins matter when it comes to the gospel? It really is the essence of the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus Christ died in our place so that our sins might be forgiven, So they begin to wrestle, who is this that has the power to forgive sins? Jesus says to them, is it harder to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, take up your bed and walk? So Jesus says to to the man, take up your bed and walk. Do you know what Jesus wasn't concerned about as much as he was the gospel? He wasn't as much concerned about the man's ability to walk or healing him physically. He was concerned about the gospel. And he says to those men, if you don't think they have the ability to forgive sins, watch this. And he says to the man, take up your bed. And immediately he gets up. And Jesus Christ confirms for us that he has the ability to, here's the problem. Did Jesus Christ confirm for us in that story that he has the ability to raise paralyzed people? I will tell you that that was not even in his thinking. That's what many of us have concluded Jesus was not saying I have the ability to heal paralyzed people. Jesus was saying I have the ability to forgive sins. And I'm going to show you by healing this paralyzed man. He proved to us that he had the ability to accomplish the things that he promised us in the gospel. So when we look at the book of Mark and we see all of the amazing things that happen, all it says to us is God is capable of doing what he promises. Too many in this day and age have taken these miracles and concluded that that's what was meant in those miracles was to say we should be able to stop blindness and heal deaf ears. And that's in the book of Mark, too, and there's a reason for that, too. Do you know why there's so much emphasis on healing deaf and blind people in the book of Mark? Because Jesus makes it clear that the problem spiritually is that people are they're blind and they're deaf. So Jesus says, hey, your problem is, is you don't have ears to hear. You don't have eyes to see. So let me show you something. I am able to heal blind people, and I am able to heal deaf people. So he takes the spiritual problem and he gives them a very practical illustration of his ability to overcome the spiritual problem. Does that make sense? All throughout the book of Mark, and and I'm getting way ahead of myself, so forgive me. It's probably good because then we'll end earlier, right? All throughout the book of Mark, there's always in every miracle, there's always a connection to the spiritual. It's either he heals somebody and casts out demons. Or it's just simply casting out demons, which is a spiritual problem, isn't it? All throughout the book of Mark, everywhere, this is the principle. This is what's being taught. Why? Why? Because listen, folks, our problem is not physical. Our problem is spiritual. And Jesus Christ did not come to serve our physical needs. He came to serve our spiritual needs. And what he did is he said to us, he said, I want you to know that I'm capable of serving your spiritual needs by serving your, by serving your physical needs. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ's significant, okay? Fed 5,000, fed 4,000. The gospel is enough, right? We see all of these spiritual truths intertwined with all of these natural, physical miracles. Jesus Christ came to serve God and bring to us spiritual deliverance one day it will be physical, but it is spiritual now. Number three, it is to produce faith in his disciples. It's interesting, as you study through the book of Mark, what you will find is interconnected with every miracle or most of the miracles that Jesus Christ performed, he always was followed by one of two things. It was always followed either by a lesson, Jesus Christ would take them aside and say, hey, this is what this means, or it was followed by a storm, Right? So Jesus Christ would either teach them or he would teach them. I know we all like the first teaching, right? Lord, please just open the book and show, tell me what it's like. And the Lord sometimes says, okay, guys, let's get into the boat, and there's a storm out there. I want you to go into that storm. I'm going to show you something. You know it's amazing? That when Jesus Christ does that with his disciples, that is an extraordinary grace. He doesn't do it with anybody else. Just those, very, those 12 very special men get to go out there in the storm and watch Jesus walk on the water. They get to stand in the boat when Jesus Christ is sleeping down underneath and come out of the boat and he says, peace be still and the waters completely are calm. They're the only ones that get to experience that. Sometimes we get so frustrated by the storms that God sends in our lives when we don't realize that those storms are God's Providential care and grace in our lives to grow us to what He wants us to be. It's all throughout the book of Mark. Number four, provoke urgency in His believers. He tells them at the end, He says, Be watchful. He says, Stay awake. Don't sleep during this time. This is not a, a time to be asleep, it's a time to be awake. Things are happening. The Lord is moving. Stay awake. Number three, in regards to the over, overall, those were all subpoints. okay? If you're taking notes, maybe I've confused you, but uh, if I have, I apologize. Number three in the, in the um, A, Bs, or the beginning, power of his serving. Listen to this real quick. I'm, I'm gonna move fast, but I want you to get this. Jesus' miracles show focus, or show the focus of his power, and we, and we just dealt with that, um, it shows his power over sin. It shows his power in the relationship to hunger. Matthew 5 and verse 6, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's not just a physical hunger, but a spiritual hunger. He shows power over blindness and deafness. Matthew 5 and verse 8, those who are pure in heart will see God. Um, he shows power in all of these areas. But Jesus Christ's miracles show also the extent of his power in the book of Mark. Okay. What you will see in the miracles that are presented is, number one, you'll see a mixture of women, children, men. You'll see it mixed all throughout. Because what we see, what the Lord is saying to us is that um, there is no limit to God's power and abilities. There is no, there is no race. There is no, there is no gender. Um, there is no nationality or, or language that is beyond Jesus Christ's ability to heal to heal them salvifically, Amen? There isn't, any, there isn't any boundaries. There isn't anything that's too big for the Lord. It's interesting, and I'm going to give you these things. You can read them when you get home. In Mark chapter number five, in verse one through five, there's a story of a man who is, who is demon-possessed, okay? And the Bible says in that context that, that nothing could constrain him, just think about that for a moment. The, 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 the context is, is that they had tried, the, the city people had tried everything that they could, even chains, to, to, to bind this man up because he was so consumed by demonic oppression and possession. The Bible says that he had a legion of, of demonic uh, um, demons inside of him. You guys remember that story, right? Right? And it goes on and it describes in this full detail of how that absolutely nothing that man could come up with could could help this man. And the next thing you know, the Bible says that he is sitting clothed and in his right mind. Do you know what happened to him? Jesus happened to him. Jesus happened to him. There is no temptation and no sin, no longer, no matter how long it has been dragging behind you no longer. No matter how many times you've tried to overcome it, there is no temptation and no sin too big for Jesus. She's had it for 12 years. How many of us have stopped believing that we can win because we've struggled for so long? Did you know that there is coming a day where Jesus is gonna walk by? And if you're not there, you're not gonna see him. Same chapter. It's funny how the Lord can puts them all together, isn't it? Same chapter, a young girl, 12 years old. Her parents come to the Lord and say, Our daughter is sick. Will you please come and heal her? On the way, on the way to heal her, he stops by this woman who has this issue of blood. He stops and he he performs a miracle there. And, and they come to the Lord and and they say, they come to the the servants come to their master, they say, There's there's no reason to come. Um, she's dead now. And I get this. Jesus goes to the house and he says, She's not dead. She's only sleeping. And you know what the people did to Jesus? The Bible says that they laughed at him. But you know what happened next? Jesus happened next. And that girl was raised from the dead and Jesus said, Give her some food to eat. Jesus happened. Even death, even death is not bigger than Jesus. Matter of fact, the gospel is this, Ephesians chapter number two, the gospel is this, you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins and he, Jesus, made us alive. Isn't that good? There's nothing too big for Jesus. In Mark chapter number nine, There's a man who brings his son to the Lord and he's demon-possessed. You'll remember the story. Nothing could help him. Nothing, the story is very clear. Nothing could help him at all. Here's the question that Jesus asked him. How, how long has he been this way? Why did Jesus ask him that? Jesus is about to show them this. Here's what the father says. Here's what the dad says. The dad says, he's been this way from birth. And you know what happens next? Jesus happens next. There is no sin that we have from birth, and every one of us is born sinners. Psalm 51, David says, from my mother's womb, I was born a sinner. There's not a sin that we have from our birth that Jesus Christ is not bigger than. It's true, isn't it? I'm not speaking to you things that are not clearly in the book of Mark and all throughout the Bible. Jesus Christ is bigger than these things. He's bigger. There is nothing that is too big for our Lord. Number four, the pinnacle of his serving. And I'm just going to say this very quickly. The pinnacle of Jesus Christ's serving is found in Mark 12 and then in Mark 15. It's simply this. The man sends three servants, the man sends two servants to the to the renters of his field to to get some of the produce from it, and they he kills them both. And then the father sends the last servant, and that is his, his son, the greatest servant of all. And they and they kill him. And Mark 20 Mark 15 tells us this that Jesus Christ came into this world and he died on the cross for our sins. He hung in our place. He took upon himself our sins. The greatest greatest display of Jesus Christ's service to the Father was that he gave his life for you and for me. We see this in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. He says, Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account at equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by making the by becoming or taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The pinnacle of Christ's service is that he died for us. And he ultimately died for the glory of God, didn't he? So here we put it together. There's nothing too big for Jesus. Amen? We don't need to go back through it, do we? There is nothing too big for Jesus. And the ultimate sacrifice that he made was the sacrifice of himself on the cross for our sins. And the greatest victory that he experienced was that third day he rose again, victorious. Victorious over all of those things so that we might experience the power of Christ in us to continue what he started 2,000 years ago. In closing, what are we prompted to do in his serving? Number one is just simply surrender. We need to surrender. Some of us listen. Some of us need to stop trying to fix our spiritual problems and come to Jesus with open hands and broken hearts and say, Lord, I can't do it. In every case in the book of Mark, every miracle, or at least the ones we looked at, it was the idea that we've tried everything and we're done trying. I think that's one thing that keeps us from ever getting close to the Lord is that we're still fixed on the fact that we can fix it. We must surrender. Matthew 11 says, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you you're not saved here this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're totally consumed in temptation and sin, you do not know how to get out of it, you do not know how to win, listen, Jesus is enough. He is capable of winning over whatever he already did it. He's capable of winning through you and in you as well. What do we need to do? We need to come to him in repentance, acknowledging that we can't do it, and faith, trusting that he can. The Bible says that those who come to him in that way, he will receive them, and he will in no means cast them out. If you're not saved here this morning, that's my heart for you, surrender. If you are saved here this morning, my heart for you is this, surrender. (laughs) Amen? It's the same. We need to surrender to enter into the kingdom of the Lord, but we need to surrender every single day the reins of our life. And we need to become selfless, sacrificial, to represent what Christ represented for us. We have been left in this world to carry out His calling for our lives. We are, we are servants. We are servants of the Most High God, but we are Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you that you have written this book to give us a full, unhindered, pure perspective on who Jesus Christ is and what he's capable of. And if there's someone sitting here this morning that is just simply overwhelmed, they are weary and heavy laden, Lord God, I pray that they will come to Jesus this morning and find deliverance. For the rest of us, Lord God, who I believe have found that deliverance, that we would learn daily to surrender, that we would learn to live out the servanthood, the the sacrificial life that you live for Father and for us, and we would do it for others. We pray your blessing upon the remainder of our service and that you'd be glorified in it.